What's up, guys? This is Taking the Field with Stevie Mack, and on this episode, I'm joined by Jordan Johnson and Noah Landis of Lacrosse Flash, and we're here to break down this year's Premier Lacrosse League College Draft. So first off, guys, welcome to the show. Happy to be back, Stevie. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. Yeah, but always good to have Jordan on. Obviously, Noah, a first-time guest of the show, so obviously excited to have you on. We've been talking about doing this episode for a few weeks now, so it's good that we finally got to get around to it. But as I said, we're going to talk the Premier Lacrosse League College Draft. It'll be Monday night, April 26th, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time on NBCSN. And I believe also I saw it said Peacock as well. So that'll be really cool to check that out on Monday night. But jumping right into it, anytime we talk about a draft like this, you always almost have to start with that number one overall pick. And for most of the college lacrosse season this year, Michael Sowers has been sort of that consensus number one pick. The Atlas are the team picking at number one. But as of recently here in the last few days, a lot of these PLL experts have started throwing around the case for Jared Bernhardt out of Maryland, possibly making his way into that number one pick conversation to the Atlas. So I wanted to get your guys' thoughts here on that number one overall pick and what you see the Atlas doing with that. And Jordan, we can start with you here. Um. I can agree that Sowers is the guy, and I can see everyone's points for Bernhardt, but to me, the major tipping point was uh, Rubier trading Rob Pinnell to the Redwoods. That kind of just tipped his hand at saying, hey, Sowers is my guy, because Sowers is going to take that spot and run with it, in my opinion. Look, everybody's talking about the lack of production from Sowers and whatnot, but you have to realize he went from being the guy at Duke, or I'm sorry, from being the guy at Princeton to right. going to this Duke team that's just loaded where he didn't have to be the guy. The whole point of going to Duke is you're not going to be the guy. You're, you're a piece of the puzzle that wins, that hopefully wins the national championship. And he's still in like the top five scoring in the country. He's going to go to the PLL. He's going to dominate. He's going to be a player for the next 10 years for the Atlas. Um, I, you know, I don't think it's as close as a lot of people say it is between Sowers, Bernhardt, and T. Yeah, absolutely. And Noah, real quick before we get your thoughts on that, you mentioned how he doesn't have to be the guy at Duke. He just has to be that piece of the puzzle at Duke. And I think really with some of the moves that you've seen by Ben Rubio in kind of reshaping this offense and bringing all these new guys in, especially through the entry draft as well, made a few picks on the offensive side of the ball. I think that's kind of what he's building this toward. Like you said, he really showed his hand by trading Rob Pinnell. But I think even more so now, he's starting to build this offense so that, like you said, when when uh, Sowers gets to the Atlas, he doesn't have to be that guy because that's even for the number one pick, that's that's a tall task to ask of somebody, even though a guy like Grant Amon just last summer did a very good job at sort of being that guy at X for the archers, but he's, I think, building this offense to where it takes the pressure off him. He has the guys around him to make his life a lot easier. Um, but Noah, let's get your thoughts. It, for sure. And I think um, the year he's going to spend at Duke or that he's spent at Duke, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I would argue it probably has helped his game at the professional level because oh, yeah. uh, he basically got a year of just playing around a bunch of other star-studded offensive players. And obviously, you know, Duke is not a professional team, but they're 
one of the best offensive teams we've seen in years. I mean, they're loaded with weapons all over the field. Like you said, making Sowers not have to be the superstar it factor guy. Um, and I really think that is going to give him a leg up when he gets into the league because he's not going to have to make such a starched adjustment from I'm the guy, I make all the decisions, and I basically do everything to now I kind of know how to play with these weapons. I've got some assets beside me that, you know, I've got a year of, you know, kind of feeling that out. Um, and so I think, you know, Sowers is – I know they've had the buzz about not being the number one pick, but I just don't see an argument. You know, I think it's one of those things that we're getting we're getting antsy for the season. We need some content. We need some We need some buzz. So if somebody puts something out there about you know, something that's going to get some some clicks and some buzz, and uh, I I don't know, I just can't see it. I think Sowers is the guy, and I think his year at Duke has has prepped him very well to be uh, an early on contributor to Atlas in a way that they really need. In saying that too, I don't mean that this is not as a disrespect to Bernhard and T, who are okay. great players and yeah. who are going to be great players. It's just in this draft, it's like I hate to use this comparison, but it's like Trevor Lawrence and then making the compare and then making the case for Zach Wilson and Justin Fields doesn't mean that Zach Wilson and Justin Fields are going to be pros. Mm -hmm. Justin or Trevor Lawrence is going to be the guy. Same thing here, Sowers. We know he's going to be the guy, but but people are just start like you said. It's kind of a clickbait. It's been a slow period leading up to the draft. Need to get some buzz going. Bernhardt and Teat, they're great players, and I think any other year, either one of them would be the number one pick, but just with the whole COVID year and everything, with Sowers coming back, it just makes sense for Bird or for Sowers to be the number one pick this year. Yeah, and if Atlas passes up on him at one and we look back in a year and he, you know, presumably gets taken to by the Water Dogs and just explodes and has a fantastic season, everyone's going to jump on Atlas, say that it's poorly – you know, managed, how could you let Sowers go from number one? You know, how could you? So I think, you know, when you think about it that way, you're like, oh, yeah, I don't, if I'm a coach, I don't really want to risk this perennial talent, you know, on a guy that is very talented. But, I mean, Sowers has been the number one pick in his class since he was a sophomore. You know? So we've been thinking about this one for a while. Yeah, absolutely. And no, I know you said the whole thing about getting clicks and just really pumping up the draft since we're less than a week out now from that. And it was funny because as you were kind of leading into to making that statement, that's kind of what was going through my head. So you kind of took the words right out of my mouth a little bit there. But yeah, I mean, for me, I could see it going either way. And as an Atlas fan, to be honest, I wouldn't mind it going either way. Like, I don't think you can necessarily, like Jordan said, you can't really go wrong with either so for me as an Atlas fan, and especially just because about a week or two ago now, I saw Jared Bernhardt play live at uh, U of M. Just unbelievable how, how good that guy was. Um, so for me personally, I wouldn't be upset with either one. So I definitely am looking forward to that number one pick and seeing what happens there. But really, picks one through 32, I think, are going to be a lot of fun to see how it shakes out. But as we move along here through this episode, the next question I got for you guys is if you look at a lot of these experts draft boards and their top 10 or so prospects that they put out seemingly each week now throughout the college across season, they're all starting to kind of look very similar with the top 10 or so guys that they have in that top grouping. But who is a guy that we're not really talking about in that top 10 or so 
of this draft board that maybe we should be ahead of Monday's draft or on the flip side, who is a guy currently projected outside that top 10, maybe in that 11 to 15 range that could find their way in maybe to that later part of that top 10. And uh, Noah, we can start with you on this one. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I may catch a little flack for this one, but it's been buzzing around my head the last few, few days. Um, Ryan Tyranny. I know we get caught up in all of the goal scoring and, you know, it's, you know, against maybe some lesser competition than what the ACC guys are going through. But when you look at just the way he plays, the shot that he has, the athleticism, and just the field control he has on offense, I think there's an argument to be made that he could go, you know, in this top 10. Now, will he? Probably not, just based on the fact that, you know, you've got guys that match up better with team identities. You know, you've got Chaos there at six, who are probably going to go with a T because, you know, the, the Canadian presence and everything like that. Yeah. Um, you've got the Chrome, who I think are another one of those more Canadian-style teams that are probably not going to go that route either. Um, I think if you see the Redwoods hold off and, you know, don't take a face-off guy, can mix everything up. Um, from uh, four down, and if that happens, you know, maybe something happens and you see a Tyranny or an O'Keefe squeeze into that first round. Um, but, you know, either way, I think I think you're going to be getting a steal if you can get him in the you know, second round even because you just see some of the goals he's scored. You know he's got the talent. Um, you've yeah. just got to – the one thing he has to prove is if he can do it against the best of the best on defense. And, I mean, we've seen plenty of guys in the professional leagues throughout the years come from these schools who may not have been all-star talent schools, not ACC schools, and they've just crushed it. I mean, you know, Tom Grant Jr. is one of the most famous examples of it. You know, he didn't go to a Duke. He didn't go to a Syracuse. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But I really like the the idea of, of a tyranny. I've got him going. Uh, <laughs> I've got him going to the Atlas at 11 um, just as a little – bonus piece alongside the Michael Sowers. So we'll see. Maybe that's me just, uh, you know, my wants and dreams rather than what's probably going to happen, but who knows. Yeah, and um, um, Jordan, before we get to yours, you mentioned Ryan Tierney. That's a guy I definitely think you could see, and I think you kind of touched on this a little bit, could go in that sort of 8 to maybe, you know, 13 to 15 range. I love your pick of him going to the Atlas at 11. I think once upon a time when I was playing with the idea of all these picks that the Atlas picked up in some of these trades, I had them going about the 10th or 11th pick there as well. I'm not sure, like you said, if it'll, if it'll shake out that way. But again, as an Atlas fan, one can only hope. But uh, Jordan, your thoughts? Um, here's a guy that I think no one's talking about. Jack Kilty, the close defenseman out of Notre Dame. Um, He's a player that even I have outside of my top 10, but it's really not just when I say he's a top 10 player, in my opinion, I think just based on the needs in this draft, like you can make the argument that nobody in the top 10 really has a glaring need at pole or at close defense. But I think it, JT Giles Harris is the defenseman of this draft. Like, don't get me wrong. He's the guy. He's the best close defenseman, but I think the gap between him and Kilty isn't far off. Uh, you see at Notre Dame, him guarding the best guys, whether it's been Matt Moore and Virginia that one game, 
or it's been uh, Michael Sowers locking him up pretty much the, that whole game against Duke. Um, he's shown he can play around with the big boys. And honestly, like, just to kind of give you a little preview, I have him going all the way down to the chaos at 14, but it wouldn't surprise me if he went any higher. Um, it's just the premium on polls. Like, there were a lot of good polls in the entry draft. There are a lot of good polls that are still sitting in the player pool from the PLL coming over last year. Um, I really like Jack Kilty. He could be a good pro if he goes to chaos. Wouldn't surprise me if he ended up in a Redwoods uniform with that Notre Dame connection. They right. they might need a poll. You don't know the availability of Hugh Crancy, who has that fancy New York job, who, who knows. A lot of these guys are – let's be real. A lot of these guys are not going to be able to play every game this year. This year is going to be different. Um, so – you know, we may see teams that don't necessarily have needs that we know about right now come up throughout the season, whether it's through injury or other work commitments or COVID stuff. We don't know, but he's going to be one of those guys. If you know, he may not make the game one roster just on the just out of the numbers, but if he gets a call and says, "Hey, you got to come play," you know, Friday in Colorado Springs, he could be a guy that could step in and fill in for one of these big time starters. Yeah, totally. And I like your um, assessment of Kielty. I think that's actually a great one. And I, he's not even a guy that I had considered until you said it. And then right as you said it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's actually a really good one. I like that one. So real quick, the one that I had, the one just immediately kind of sprang to mind for me was Dox Aiken. I think he's a guy right now that's can go anywhere from maybe like eight, like I said, for uh, Ryan Tierney. He's a guy that can go anywhere from eight to probably about 15 is where we'll probably see him go on Monday. But I really like him. He's a guy that can play between the arcs, and that's something that Ben Rubior talks about all the time. I don't necessarily have him going to the Atlas, but he's just a guy that since he's Ben with the Atlas has said he wants guys that can do that sort of thing, and that's really where the league is going. So I think that whoever gets him in that 8 to 15 range is going to get a really solid player because this year he has two or more goals in four games, and he's registered at least one point in 10 out of 13 on the year. So I think whoever gets him is going to get really good value for him in this draft. But the next question, we got a couple more here before we wrap this episode up. The next one is give me a team whose roster will be most impacted by the college draft on Monday when it's all said and done. And uh, Jordan, we can start with you. When it's all said and done, if you want to say by Monday, I'm really tough with this. I mean, the obvious pick is the Atlas, but outside of them, um, it wouldn't surprise the chaos, man. Like, Andy Towers has been – he didn't grab any anybody off the waiver wire after the entry draft. He's kind of been holding out for these college draft picks. And, I mean, we don't know about any trades or anything yet. Wouldn't surprise me if they struck a trade or two in the draft. Same, same thing with teams like the Woods, who could be looking to move a couple guys, maybe move up to go get certain guys. TD – who knows what you're going to have to move up to to go get T.D. Erlin, or if somebody wants to go move up to go move to go get Jared Bernhardt, um, potentially. So I think Chaos's roster is going to be most impacted, whether they end up making all of their draft picks or if they make 
or if it's via a trade or something. I think you're going to look at them after the draft, and it may not be right away because obviously we know Atlas has the most draft picks just on paper, just by the sheer numbers. They're going to be their <clears throat> roster is going to be look the most different. But when it's all said and done, maybe before camp, I think Chaos's roster is going to be the team that we look at and say their roster is a lot different coming between college draft and the start of camp. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just a couple things here real quick. You mentioned the chaos. I do think that's a really good pick right there for this question. Um, they do have, I checked right before we came on to record this, they do have, they're tied for the most picks in this draft with the Atlas at six. So I do think, like you said, there are going to be a few teams to keep an eye on on Monday as far as moving picks around, maybe trading up to go get certain guys that they really want that they think that they won't be able to get if they stay where they are. I'll give you mine here in just a few minutes, but I really like yours. And before we get to Noah real quick, it looks like, if I'm not mistaken, we just had Phil pop on <laughs> a second ago. So, Phil, what's up, man? Hey, how are you, man? Sorry I had some trouble there. You know, it's the getting ready to jump on, the computer freezes, of course. Then you can't even restart it, and then we're trying to get this and that. But I'm here. Thank you for having me. Great to see all of your faces. <laughs> yeah, man, always fun. Always fun to have you on. Um, so we got Noah here, and we got Jordan as well. So Phil, just before we move to Noah here, real quick, I'll let you in on what the question I was just asking these guys was: is give me a team whose roster will be most impacted by Monday's college draft. So I'll, I'll give you a second to sit on that and think about that real quick, and we'll go to Noah for his answer on this one. Yeah, for this one, I really think uh, if you exclude Atlas as kind of the obvious ones, um, the Archers have a really, really good opportunity with – they have the sixth pick and they have the 13th pick. So, <clears throat> I mean, you're talking about a, <clears throat> a team, excuse me, full of guys that – uh, they're good at attack. They don't need anything else at attack. Uh, the midfield has the best player in the world, arguably, in Tom Schreiber. Uh, they've shored up the, def the defense through a couple of these other drafts that we've done. But now they can spot pick and say, okay, you know, we've got the best talent coming out of the college draft. Where do we need just one or two guys that can fight for a position and either elevate the guys that are already there through the competition or just outright take that position and or the future of our team. Um, so I think that number uh, five pick is pretty important. I think they may go with a goal uh, with a uh, with a long pole there. Um, you know, you could toss uh, a JT Giles Harrison, um, a Jared Connors. It just really depends on what happens before that fifth pick. Uh, I think it would probably be Giles Harris because I don't see a pole getting picked before then. Um, but you've got that five pick, and then they've got all the way down at 13. I've got Nakai Montgomery going to them. Um, and you could add another crazy good midfield piece to go on alongside Tom Schreiber. So, And it injects a little bit of youth into that offense uh, from the midfield. Tom's still the best, but he's you know getting older. And, and here in the future, the PLL is here to stick around. So if you could have Nakai Montgomery operate for a couple of years underneath kind of watching just Tom Schreiber work and how he goes about his game, uh, you could have – you know, a really good setup draft, I think, for not only right now, but for the next couple of years. 
Yeah, absolutely. I really like the archers and your explanation that you gave there. I think you made a lot of really good points. So it'll be interesting to see what Chris Bates and company do on Monday night with their draft. And then Phil, now that you've joined us, uh, <laughs> give me your thoughts on who's a team whose roster will be most impacted by this college draft. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, first, I'm going to say I want to hear everyone's thought. You might have already covered this. I don't know. But the thing that I'm curious about with Atlas, I, we all know that's the obvious pick, but is the number one pick going to be Sowers or Bernhardt? Like, to me, that's probably the most, like, the biggest thing for them. Like I said, maybe you guys already covered that. I don't know. I think it'll still be Sowers, but I can see the, uh, I can see the, the pro, like, there's not really a negative, so it's more like, which is the better positive, you know? Yeah. Um, but like I said, I, I would think it's still Sowers. Now, the other thing is, the, the one that I'm, like hinging on like the biggest one that I'm, I'm really interested to see is will the Redwoods be able to get uh, TD early? Like that to me is, is probably the, the biggest thing because when they had the beast, right, the woods were able to really get things going. You know what I mean? Because they have the attack and now they've got Pinnell. So they're going to have Jules coming out of the box. They've got a great defense led by Sexton. They've got Timmy Troutner, who was the rookie of the year, and we all know that story. The missing piece last year was face-off, and that started to pick up a little last year. But my point is still, it was a little, right? They're looking for that big dog. And so could TD fall to four where they are? There's a chance, but it's tough because he's a guy that any team would like to get, right? I mean, it's you're not going to go wrong getting him and getting a face-off guy that's kind of a generational talent obviously isn't going to come along, you know, like uh, Atlas isn't going to get rid of Baptiste. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? You know, and uh, Nardell is not going anywhere. So it could be interesting to see. Now, here's the problem for the Redwoods. And I know I'm talking about one particular pick, but that's because I think this one pick could really change where this team stands, right? Um, but the problem with the Redwoods is they don't have a second round pick. So they don't even have that to like try to trade. They have a third-round pick, but if I'm not mistaken, I think it's the last pick in the third round. So still, not really much of a bargaining chip there. So they would have to trade a big player if they wanted to move up to try to secure TD in the draft. But we'll see. You know, we'll see on that. So, um, and then Chaos, I know they've been said. I think that's another team that, you know, has did obviously really, really well last year and has, like, retained a lot of big pieces. Um, so they have a chance to pick up even some more big dogs to kind of bolster that team up to maybe become a real competitor with the whip snake with the whip snakes. Now, just to go back for another second, let's remember in the playoffs, the last two years in the playoffs, the Redwoods have taken the whip snakes to an overtime game. That's the closest they've been to getting eliminated two years in a row. So, like I said, TD to the Woods to me is the biggest is going to, it could be the biggest pick of the draft to impact one team the biggest way. That's what I was going to have as my second was that number four pick for the Redwoods after the number one overall pick, maybe like the most, like if you're just talking about teams having picks that are important to them in this draft, that number four pick for the Redwoods is crucial. And I think if they get TD Erland, they don't even care about the rest of the draft. They're like, screw it. We're going to pop the champagne now because yeah. they get the one piece that's been missing since 2019, um, yeah. you know, because we had Greg and Greg was just pretty much the Hall of Fame, you know, face-off yeah. guy that you 
look to, but he was at the end of his career. He was hobbled a little bit. You saw some hamstring injuries. So having a young, healthy, dominant face-off guy who uh, not only can show that he's been multiple different places and had success, now he's at Denver and he's having success, you know, so um, having that at the number four pick, that was going to be after the Archers. That pick could change everything for the Redlands. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. And if I could say one more thing here, Stevie, about Atlas, yep. there's so many good attackmen. And, um, well, first, there's so many good everything. This is a, this, this offseason is the best talent we'll ever see join the PLL at one time in the history of the PLL. I know that's what, what are we three seasons in? And I'll never like, that'll never be an argument you can counter. Um, But having said that Atlas got rid of Ryan Brown, one of the best shooters in the world. And I think they could have a chance, slight chance, but a chance at getting Mac O'Keefe, which would give them, the what I would consider the only close opposition as the other best shooter in the world. So you could have that number one pick, pick Mikey Sowers, and then potentially get Mac O'Keefe. And then you have Eric Law, who's not afraid to get dirty in front of the crease. Oh, baby. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. So as we uh, keep moving along here, we got one more question that we got to get to. For you guys here real quick but just my thoughts on this question I did kind of take the easy way out on this one just because I'm an Atlas fan so I went with the Atlas for my pick here and I'll explain why really fast they do have that number one overall pick which we've pretty much beaten to death in this episode but they do have <laughs> four of the first 11 picks and I think it's really interesting as we've seen this episode play out that what we've seen now is we've all agreed that Michael Sowers is going to go number one to the Atlas. But earlier in the episode, Phil, you weren't here for this, but earlier in the episode, Noah said in a little bit of a sneak peek to his mock draft, he had Ryan Tierney going 11 to the Atlas. And now you come in with Mac O'Keefe to the Atlas as well. So just in those first four picks, just with the three of those together, they could by themselves probably score with just about anybody in this league. But then you put them in that offense with what they already have. That could be some ridiculously fun offense to watch this summer, not just from the Atlas, but from anybody really, I think is what we're gearing up for here uh, as we're about a month or month and a half or so away from the first game. So that was who I went with was the Atlas because of the fact that they have loaded up on those first four picks or so in that draft. But I think one of the things that will be interesting to see is, do they address backup face-off behind Trevor Baptiste? I know you said earlier, Phil, they're never going to get rid of him. He's <laughs> going to be an Atlas for life. I would be okay with that. But and, and you and me have talked about it on past episodes as well, is they've always seemed in the last two years to struggle to find that true backup face-off to Baptiste. So I'm wondering – I don't think they'll do it in those first four picks that they have, but I do think it's something that they will address maybe with their third or fourth round picks. So I'll be interesting to see what they do there because obviously a guy like TD Erlin is going to be well off the board by then. So it'll be interesting to see who they, who they wind up with there. But my final question for you guys will go around and each of you will have a chance to answer this one is a possible sleeper team in this draft. We talked about, the number one pick, as I've said, we've talked about uh, the top 10 prospects, a guy that could find their way inside the top 10, a guy that could fall outside the top 10. We've talked about teams that could be most impacted by the draft. But now to wrap this thing up, 
Give me a team that is sort of a sleeper in this draft. We've talked a lot about the Atlas. We've talked a little bit about the Redwoods and the Archers and the Chaos, but give me a sleeper team for this draft, a team that could come out of Monday and say, wow, they had a really solid draft. Why weren't we talking about this before? And uh, Phil, since you just joined us, we'll start with you on this one. Yeah, you know, I think for me, when, when I think about this, when I, the first team that comes to mind that I don't think that there's been a lot of chatter about, but that needs some pieces and is on the cusp of uh, starting the train. I don't know that they'll get to the championship, but the train will start moving the, sta- the station is uh, the Water Dogs. You know, I think that's a team that no one's really kind of spoken about. I don't even know if they necessarily have a pick in the second round. But, you know, that's a team that's got a tremendous amount of talent. They had uh, they did have a solid win. I know they lost the rest, but let's be honest, it's a new team. When you don't have that chemistry, when no one's really – most haven't played together, I should say. Um, that's really tough. It's tough, and you have a new coach. But I do feel like they have a tremendous amount of talent, and they can get a couple little pieces in there, fill a few holes – and maybe that, that thing can start to move a little bit, and that could be a team that we all said, you know, wait, you know, they got so-and-so. That, that's a good pick. They needed that. And, you know, the season starts, and you say to yourself, like, wow, like that, that guy is really getting some serious playing time or what have you. And so I think that could be a team that, that uh, no one's talking about that could get some real good players. No, yeah, for sure. And that's, that's a team that me personally I haven't – thought a whole lot about as far as what this draft could mean for them. But I thought you you really touched on a lot of good points there with the Water Dogs. So we got the Water Dogs are off the board for this question. Um, Jordan, let's go to you. Um, my sleeper team, if they're really a sleeper team, I would say is the Cannons because, look, we talked a lot about what they did in the entry draft and waivers and all that. And right now they're very veteran heavy. Um, yeah. So I just look at them with that ninth pick there. They're going to get a really good player. Look, they could use another two-way guy uh, with the trade of Brent Adams. I re- that's one that I really kind of shake my – a trade that I shake my head on just because of how good of a two-way player Adams is. And I think in this league with the shorter field um, and with the 52-second shot clock, you just need guys that can run up and down and transition – uh, so they could, they'll have their options of really good two-way players there, whether they go with a guy like Trey LeClaire, Docs Aiken will still be there. I think Jeff Trainer could be an option, one of those guys. They could also use another pull. As, like I said, they went really offensive heavy in the entry draft. Obviously, you had to get Lyle, and then they got, got – <clears throat> then in the expansion draft, even they got guys like Deemer Class – they added Paul Rabel right before, which is why they don't have as many draft picks as I would like to see an expansion team who is who I believe is getting younger, who should be getting younger. And that's with no disrespect to any of these guys coming over to the MLL or from the MLL. It's just when you see an expansion team, you think, let's get some of these younger guys, get a core. But obviously, you can't pass up Lyle Thompson I mean, I see, I understand the trade for Rabel. I can, I understand bringing in Chris Hogan with the Boston connections. And then Quirk wanted to bring his guys back, like Morocco, Zach Goodbridge, things like that. But they, I think they either have a chance to get a really good two way player there, or they could address a position of need, which is needing another pole. So 
I would say watch out for the Cannons. They also they're one of those teams too. Early on, they seem to be making as many trades as you know they can swing. And you know, if we're going to talk about trades that could happen before or during the draft, the Cannons would be another team to watch out for in my eyes. Yeah, absolutely. I really like that pick of the Cannons. Like you said, normally you want to see an expansion team try to get younger. Obviously, they haven't really had that opportunity much yet, so this would kind of be that opportunity that they have. Um, I think, and you might have you might have mentioned this earlier in the episode as well, possibly a team in the Cannons that could make a few draft day trades to try and get some more picks that might help them bring in a few more young pieces to that team. But uh, Noah, let's get your thoughts really quick. Yeah, I think for me, I, would, I was going to say the Water Dogs too, but I think when you look at the Chrome as well, uh, this draft you have feasibly three number one overall picks with Sowers, Bernhardt, and Erlen, really. I mean, when you look at how important face-off is, especially in the PLL, with what Nardell has done the last couple of years. Um, so I think the Chrome with pick number three. And then they have, uh, midway through the second round, they have a 12-round, a 12-round, the 12th pick overall. So you can get, you know, one of those perennial guys, you can get a TD Erlen, or you can get a 1B, 1C attackman in this draft. And... Uh, you can start there or you can start a different way and then come back around in that second round and sure up uh, the other pieces that you need. So I think the Chrome have a really good opportunity to fill some of the holes. You know, they've done really well in the previous drafts so far this year, getting stats, um, people like that. So I think this is going to be just kind of like a wealth of riches for them. They're going to pick the spots they think they need and the spots that they're going to need in the future. And uh, that number three overall pick, it's nice. I know it's number three and it's not number one, but it's it's nice. Yeah, for sure. I think anytime you have one of those first four picks, especially in a draft like this, you know, top four, top five pick, you can't really be too upset about it. You're going to get a really, really good player that will probably be part of your, your roster for a long time to come into the future. But really quick, as we start to wrap this episode up, my sort of sleeper team for this was the Redwoods because we've seen it in the past, especially that 2019 college draft. A guy like Nat St. Laurent has shown that he can be really good at drafting this young talent like there will be in this upcoming draft. And they have the number four overall pick, but they don't have a second rounder. They do have the 24th overall, so they do have a little bit of time in between when they get to pick. Then they have 29 and they have number 32, the last pick in the draft on Monday night. But something that I think could be interesting with the Redwoods here, which is why I picked them for this one, is that if you go back to the point I made in question two, Phil wasn't here for this one, but in that question, I said that, you know, like I said, the Redwoods don't have a second round pick, but they do have a third and they have multiple fourths. They could be a team that trades up to the second round to be able to go out and get a guy like Dox Aiken because you lost a guy like Brent Adams on your roster from last year. So now you do need sort of that two-way midfielder, a guy that can play between the arcs, like I said earlier in the episode, something that's going to be very important in the PLL moving forward here in the future. Um, and being able to add a guy like Aikens not only gives you that two-way two midfield option, but it also gives you a younger option as well and a guy that you could probably pair with a, a Miles Jones and a Sergio Perkovic in that midfield. So the Redwoods for this one are a team that I'm going to be watching for as a possible sleeper team. 
and a guy like Dox Aiken potentially going to the Redwoods in the second round if Nat, excuse me, Nat St. Laurent can pull off a move like that. But guys, that'll pretty much do it. Thank you all for coming into this episode. Phil, I know you joined us a little bit late, but thanks for making it work for us. It was it was nice seeing you kind of pop up midway through the episode. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, hey, you know, there's Phil. Like, look at that. So thank you guys for taking the time to join me on this episode. But that'll do it for this episode of Taking the Field with Stevie Mac. Make sure to like, comment, and share on this post, guys. Let us know what you think about Monday night's draft and even answer some of these questions that we went over yourself. What do you think will happen with the number one pick? Who's your sleeper team in this draft? Things like that. Let us know. You can also find the podcast basically anywhere you get your podcasts, including YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Google, Apple Podcasts, like I said, anywhere you get your podcast. But guys, thanks for joining me and we will see you later.